RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. Why, Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. Welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell. I hope everybody out there is safe and healthy as we continue to navigate our way through these COVID times. And as we slowly see the reopening efforts around the world, very exciting. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, but we still need to stay safe. We still need to stay incredibly smart because that virus, it's still out there. Hopefully, collectively, together, we can stay in front of that monster and move forward. All right, get in touch with us. Reach out. Crushperformance.com is the website. Questions, comments, smart remarks, we answer them all. Info at Crush Performance is the email. If you have a topic you'd like us to investigate or if you need some help with something, if we don't have the answers, I can guarantee it, we know somebody that does. So please reach out. We answer every message we get. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush, and on all the other social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you can follow us at Crush Performance. Okay, well, as the reopening continues, there's signs of the return of sport. We're starting to see some youth leagues sort of get back in action down in the U.S. in certain pockets of the U.S. We're actually seeing baseball tournaments taking place. I think they're following pretty strict guidelines for, for what it's worth. Uh, we need to stay smart, and we watch that with great interest because if this phase can go successfully it opens the door for everything else and on the pro side of course we all know mlb is working feverishly to come to an agreement with the players association and get some form of a major league season put together here i think they're talking 82 84 games the players want 100 whatever they do i hope they can get it together i think they will everybody's motivated to get the game back in action and for the fans and all the baseball players out there, because we're not playing, uh, it would be great to see our, our stars and our teams out on the field. Even if there's no fans, just watching it on TV, we see baseball in the mornings on, on television being broadcast from Korea and Taiwan. Now uh, I think it's Taiwan is letting social distancing crowds into their stadiums, which I like, and it seems to be going well. I think everybody's watching that with great interest but I'm watching Korean baseball for the first time ever. And actually it's a blast. I get up in the morning, turn on the baseball, usually about the fifth or sixth inning. Cause they, of course, either it's a replay or they're starting at different times. But the other day I saw a grand slam. It was great. A little point to the stars, to the baseball gods as you're trotting around the, the bases. It was fantastic. So I can't wait for baseball to return. And of course the NHL is also very, very close. They are really working with our medical experts as to how they might be able to pull off some form of a playoff tournament. They are hunting for the locations to do this. They're looking for two locations where they can create safe environments for the players, their families, and all the staff and everybody that, that makes this thing happen. Uh, they're talking about, you know, of course, NHL caliber arenas with practice facilities and hotels in proximity. And it's going to be interesting to see if they do get this underway. You know, it's going to be a bit of a stretch for the families and the players. 
And they're talking about doing some really cool things like, like renting entire golf courses for the day. So everybody who's not playing or not practicing can go out and you know shoot around a golf and have some fun outside. So my dad always used to tell me when I was complaining or whining or, you know, couldn't figure something out, he would just simply look at me and say, where there's a will, there's a way. And I think there's a great will here to get baseball back, to get hockey back. The NBA, we're not so sure. Not quite the positive vibes out of the NBA, like we're getting out of baseball and the NHL. Well, baseball, you know, the players and the owners have to work it out, but they both want to move forward. They just have to find that common ground. The NHL, it sounds like for the most part, players are on board, the owners are on board. So, I mean, everybody's looking for options. They're trying to do it right. And I think there's great will here. And the NBA, maybe not so much. I haven't heard so much about the NBA. A lot of strife there, but it, it would be great to see the NBA get in a playoff tournament as well. But there's so many logistics involved in pulling something like this off. And I just think about what's happening in minor sports. It's one thing to take care of the pros and the, you know, that's their livelihoods. And there's so many jobs involved in professional sport. A lot of them, you know, won't be engaged here with empty stadiums, but getting the television back and the commercial revenue, getting people back to work is going to be a big part of restarting the economies. And just from a mental standpoint, just to see sports, something to cheer about, something to take our minds off of the everyday stuff that we deal with. I think that's one of the great roles of sport and one of the great roles of professional sport. You know, I had a great conversation years ago. Sorry, this just came to my mind. We we're talking to some sports scientists in Australia and we're just, you know, talking about the sharing of information and how Australia, with a pretty small population, you know, years ago, really committed a massive, a massive amount of federal money into their national sports system. And this was sort of, you know, one of the early pushes for international sports science, Olympic level sports science. They were really on the front end. And I got to know some of the people over there. Great. And I'm telling you right now, they have unbelievable programming over there from their youth right up to the top, right on parallel, probably with Canada, New Zealand, Australia, I think are probably three of the leading countries. There's some great things going on in Norway and Denmark and the Nordic countries as well. But it kind of all started with Australia. And at the time, Australia was dominating, you know, some the summer sports, summer Olympic type international sports and and I was really intrigued by this because they weren't just doing well. They were dominating international sports. So I reached out to some of our colleagues over there just to get a little glimpse behind the scenes to find out what was going on and what the motivation was for this huge push into sport performance and sports science. And it was an enlightening conversation. And it turns out that, you know, if you look back into the history of Australia, the sports scientists were telling me they don't have a rich history like other parts of the world. I mean, going back, you know, outside of their Aboriginal population who have been there since, you know, the beginning of time, um, it was a penal colony. That was sort of how this new modern culture got going. And it's not something, you know, that they feel is something that the Australians can truly be proud of looking back in history. So the government recognizing this, you know, really understood that, you know, a lot of the national pride and patriotism revolves around the national sports. What a brilliant thing to do now. Start pumping money into sport, sport development. So yes, one, you get a great developmental model for kids coming up, dreaming of wearing that flag and representing their country, but also at the national level and the professional level, rugby, cricket. And at that time there was a, a pretty good baseball league over there as well. Let's really dominate 
international sports. So what they did is, of course, they didn't have a rich history of research and science. So they started scouring the earth and talking to the smartest people on all aspects of human performance. And they said, it was a great conversation. They said, we just stole everything we could because, you know, we didn't have all this, you know, rich history of science and research in house. So we went out and did it because, you know, even though it might seem we're not great thinkers, but we're great doers. So we went out and got all this stuff when we made it happen. And the prime directive behind this was to give people something to cheer about. So think about what's going on right now globally without our professional sports, without our college sports, even for our youth, getting, getting that uniform on and representing their team and their community. Man, that's important stuff. So as we move forward, it, it'll be great to see the professional sports come around but I'm really, really looking for the start of youth sport. It's got to be done right. But now that we're starting to see these reopening strategies, you know, in restaurants and, you know, people are going to the market, is there a way, you know, are our medical people looking at ways for uh, kids to get together in groups in controlled spaces and get a workout in? Maybe it's not even a, a, a skill practice. Maybe it's just a little conditioning session just to keep them sharp, keep them healthy, but keep them engaged and social. I mean, no school as well. How many kids, whoever thought they'd hear their kids missing school so much? I'm hearing it on a regular basis. Yes, they're missing their friends for sure, but I think they're just missing that whole idea about getting out of the house, being independent, you know, sort of for that time, even though the teachers and principals and everybody are keeping a close eye, they're getting, they've got some freedom, some independence. That's gone right now. So, um, boy, boy, I'm, I'm glad we're moving forward again, proceed with caution, but as the shutdown continues, we have to keep in mind, there's still a lot of things that we can do, whether you're a weekend warrior, recreational athlete. I don't think I've ever seen so many people on bikes. This might be a resurgence of the bike industry. And, you know, talking to some of the bike experts around our local community, there's a shortage of bikes. And that's a great thing. I see families out riding together. I've never seen so many mountain bikers on the trail. It's, it's fantastic. So that's an upside here for sure. But for those athletes who are sort of maybe in that high performance pathway, whether it's your school teams, community teams, or whether you're vying for a college scholarship, a pro, or whether you're a pro athlete or a national athlete, just trying to stay in shape. We've seen some great innovations. We've seen swimmers you know, stack up giant hay bales, line it with a bladder and fill it with water. So, you know, they can have somewhere to practice their swimming above ground, man-made hay bale swimming pools, just fantastic stuff. People are on the trails, but in terms of developing the athlete, this is a massive opportunity that's just never happened before. One of the, one of my good friends in major league baseball is calling it off season 2.0, <laughs> Right. I mean, where has this ever happened before? Everybody gets ramped up for the season in baseball. Spring training's almost done and boom, straight into a second off season here. And we don't know how long it's going to last, but we still have to stay sharp from the weekend warriors to our recreational athletes, to our kids and developmental athletes. This is a great opportunity. So what do you do? Well, stay active. Cardiovascular for sure. Maintain your cardiovascular base. And that's just an absolute necessity for everybody out there. But when it comes to getting better, there's never been a time like this. There's never been a time where you might have been ready for your season, ready to play. 
And now you've got this extra time to build and fine tune yourself to come out on the other side of this thing better than you were before. But here's the thing. Nobody does it alone. So who do you turn to? Who do you turn to when you need help? Well, the virtual world is on fire right now with great information. But here's the problem with that. And, you know, with the information world as it sits right now, you have to be careful about the sources. You have to be careful about who you're working with. And so when we talk about getting into a, a strength and conditioning program or working with a trainer, we always recommend that you interview those people. Interview them. Make sure, one, that you mesh with them, that the personalities match, that that person is somebody you think can help you get better. That's really, really important. Whether we're talking a strength and conditioning coach, performance coach, or even a skills coach, you got to interview them. But on the athletic training side, right, there's so many areas that need to be addressed. Yes, okay, the player is number one. We're always focused on enhancing and even improving playing performance. But that all is greatly dependent on your athletic abilities. Your ability to improve your skills in any sport or game is greatly, greatly dependent on your athletic abilities. And it all comes down to our foundations of development. We're the players first, but we have to have the athlete well-developed. So in our models, we say, hey, athlete first. The player is the priority, but we have to develop the athlete first. If we're going to create coachable, adaptable players, we have to have well-rounded athletes. And there's so many variables involved. We call them the foundations of development, everything from flexibility to cardiovascular, which is endurance, aerobic, anaerobic, anaerobic power, capacity, all these things for the cardiovascular system, agility, movement, strength, and power. All right. We have vision. We have psychology. We've got nutrition. Uh, we've got injury rehab, return to play, all of these areas that need to be addressed. And it's very, very difficult to wade through this alone. You need some help, some expert help. And this is kind of where our conversation is going to go today. Who do you get to help guide you through all of these areas of development? If you're, if you're a recreational athlete just trying to get better, or if you're an athlete getting into a high-performance pathway with a dream of pursuing something in sport, it's difficult to do it alone. And at some point, you need some advice. So who do you go to? Well, not all trainers and strength and conditioning coaches are created equally. And again, one of the things we strongly recommend is you interview the person that you're going to be working with, whether it's at your local gym or a high performance center, interview them and make sure you mesh personality wise. But when it comes to credentials, something we've always encouraged is make sure they have uh, a degree in sports science whatever that might be, whether it's a kinesiology degree, exercise, phys. And one thing that we're pretty adamant about is the certified strength and conditioning specialist certification from the National Strength and Conditioning Association. It's sort of the golden standard in the industry right now. And as a matter of fact, all of the major sports require that certification, the CSCS, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist Certification of all their strength coaches. If you're going to work in a professional sport, in most colleges now, you have to have that mark. You have to have that, that certification because it's the golden standard. It kind of shows that you're really, really serious about what you're doing. Now, there's a lot of certifications out there and that word certification gets thrown around very, very loosely, but you want to make sure you have a qualified person in your corner guiding you through all of these areas of development. 
And so today, that's where our discussion will take us. We're going to talk with Eric McMahon, the coaching program manager for the National Strength and Conditioning Association. We're going to talk about the certifications. We're going to talk about what the NSCA is all about and why that certified strength and conditioning specialist, that mark is so, so important in the industry right now. We're also going to talk about some sports science. We're going to talk about velocity-based training, a real interesting discussion. And that p- applies to virtually every sport out there. We'll tie it in with long-term athlete development. And we're also going to talk about this new era of sports science and what it's all about. We've come a long, long way in a very, very short time. And we're going to talk about everything you need to know about improving your athletic potential so you can become the best player possible. Right after this on Crush Performance as we talk with Eric McMahon, the coaching program manager for the NSCA. Stick around, everybody. If you have any performance questions, comments, or smart remarks, text Crusher at 10-12-60 and follow him on Twitter at Jeff Crush. Now, here he is, the Crusher. And welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Jeff Cruschel here. We're your weekly source for performance information. Hey, get in touch with us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. Questions, comments, smart remarks. <laughs> we love them all. And we've gotten some doozies here lately. I like all you wise guys out there. Some really, really good stuff. We need to start like a Crush comedy show because you guys would be stars. Uh, but really smart, smart comments, and I uh, really appreciate it. And, uh, of course, we answer every single message we get. And, listen, if you guys need some help, if you have a question, or if you have a topic you'd like us to investigate, drop us a line, and uh, we may dedicate a segment or an entire episode to your idea. Because, you know, one of the things about this um, this podcast and the radio show, we kind of put it on ourselves to get everybody thinking about things we we think that are important. But at the same time, you guys are getting us thinking about things that we might not be thinking about. So it's a fantastic partnership and one that I think and hope will go on for a long, long time. All right, listen, today, I've really been looking forward to this show. We're going to kind of tear back the curtains and get a look at what goes on behind the scenes, the, the unsung heroes, so to speak, the people who are making sport and performance happen away from the field of play, the trainers, the nutritionists, the psychologists, the sport performance people, and the strength and conditioning coaches, which get those athletes ready to play at the highest level every single day, and those who are involved in the developmental world that are helping athletes progress over the long haul as they work to chase down their dreams. This is my world, the world of strength and conditioning, athlete performance, sports science, and I'm really, really happy to have on today Eric McMahon, the coaching program manager for the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Eric, I've really been looking forward to this. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, well, this has been a long time coming. And of course, in this one thing that's really shut or happened during this shutdown phase is, um, man, we've been learning a lot. I've been learning a ton. I've been watching webinars, listening to podcasts more than I ever have before. And I've been reading a lot as well. So uh, really good to have you on to, to, to talk about a bunch of stuff here. And I know you guys are uh, dedicated to educating the professionals in the performance world. There's no question about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, my son's in the next room over doing virtual first grade right now. And um, yeah, there's no shortage of content in our field right now. Uh, coaches have really stepped up. Uh, the NSCA coaching community and just um, stepping up to this challenge and just being there for uh, each other, um, whether it be fundraising efforts. Um, one one event that was really exciting was the coaches versus COVID-19 event. Um, and I think it's uh, 
I think it's just really great what's going on in our field right now. Obviously, the circumstance circumstances aren't ideal, but uh, really exciting um, to see how we've responded. Yep, I agree. There's no question about it. And of course, very exciting times for you as well. This is sort of a new role for you. You're stepping away from professional baseball after years and years. Maybe walk us through your career path, Eric, and maybe what brought you to the NSCA, because I'm really, really excited you're where you're at right now with this incredible organization. Yeah, I am too, man. I um, you know, I grew up in Burlington, Vermont, so up in the Northeast, and um, honestly, there wasn't a lot of strength and conditioning around um, just when I was an athlete, and um, went on to play uh, Division three college football, and you know, if it wasn't for training during those four years, I, w- I would have never touched the field, and so I, I learned a ton, uh, but just hungry to learn more and, and just pursued the field of strength and conditioning. Um, you know, I, I had that multi-sport background growing up and I know Jeff, you talked about that a lot, um, with the whole long-term athlete development, um, uh, concept that's out there. And, and it's, uh, you know, I really grew up with that. And so baseball really was a passion for me, um, pursuing it professionally. And, um, really ever since graduate school at Springfield college, I, I pursued professional baseball and I started working my way up through the minor leagues all the way to the major league level. And, um, yeah, it, it, it was a really exciting time. I remember showing up at the ballpark, you know, at, uh, 22, 23 years old. And some of the players on my team were, were older than I was. And I was just learning so much in those years. And that really never changed, just progressing up, up through the levels, just like the players. Um, and then, um, making this change, you know, it's, um, I wouldn't be, I would have never had those opportunities, uh, in to, to get to the big leagues to, uh, to work in strength and conditioning. If it wasn't for the NSCA, I really, uh, I had a coach who, uh, let me know about the certification the NSCA had back when I was a, um, back when I was an athlete. And I soon after became a student member and, and just pursued strength and conditioning kind of through that career path that the NSCA had. So, um, you know, it was a, it's a very good fit that I, that I work with the NSCA now because I'm really passionate about, um, the impact that, that the organization can have, um, for young coaches, uh, progressing into, uh, strength and conditioning careers. So, so yeah, that's kind of my path, um, uh, to be where I'm at. And, and I really am excited about this role because, um, COVID-19 aside, you know, it's an exciting time for the NSCA, you know, the CSCS is, uh, has been the um, high standard of strength and conditioning in the field for some time now. And we're in the middle of developing a sports science textbook and certification, which will be out in early 2021. Um, It's really exciting with just the growth of technology and uh, just all the resources that are available in our field now. And so for us to be able to kind of broaden our lens and and expand um, from strength and conditioning into the whole sports science space. Um, that it's really exciting for us at the NSCA and we're excited to be able to share that, uh, very soon. Yeah. Well, I've been a member since 1994. So I've seen the organization change and grow 
um, for the better and for the better of sport as well. And, you know, one of the things that was really interesting for me, I had a very similar path to you, Eric, in, in terms of my profession, you know, starting young at the minor leagues, working my way up to the big leagues, and then stepping away to uh, consult with Major League Baseball, even to this day, you know, 14, 15 years later on the international side. And I'm telling you one thing, it was great to be involved in sport. I mean, I worked NHL hockey. I was lucky enough to work in pro football and Olympic on the Olympic program. So I had this really great background that was just sort of a perfect storm for me personally. But one of the big game changers for me was uh, consulting with Major League Baseball International. And that's where our our paths really, really crossed. And just getting that perspective of how powerful and how broad range uh, sport is globally uh, was a real eye-opener for me personally. And, you know, with all the great young coaches that, that came through that program, um, you being one of those, uh, you guys really, really collectively, you know, we work together to really influence sport globally. But that's the power of this profession. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think back on those experiences and, and working with you back then and um, really, uh, you know, that and in long term athlete development, that was the first time I'd ever really been exposed to that that concept um, working with you and um, taking where I was at in the I was in the lower minor leagues at the time. Um, and then I was over and I was at the Italy, uh, MLB Italy, uh, Academy and, and working with high school age, um, baseball players, which really there weren't that many of in, uh, in the country of Italy at the time. And it was just really a game development initiative. And I mean, it really, uh, broadens your perspective and you know, obviously culturally, but you know, just, you really learn in, in coaching what's important. And, uh, what I remember working, uh, you know, when you're working with the national team, those, those kids can play, but I remember going to one clinic on the other side of the country and, uh, you know, I had my cones and I had my everything set up and I was about to go through some drills and next thing, you know, uh, I'm watching kind of what's going on around me and they're going into some, they're fielding ground balls off the wall in this old gym and, and I'm seeing how they're holding the bat on their shoulder. And I'm like, man, these guys don't need strength and conditioning at all. And I, I just ended up picking up a bat and just getting them in a stance. And we're just working through some basic stuff because they, you know, they weren't, they weren't there yet, you know? So, um, it's just one of those things that it was, it was really an eye opener for me, um, seeing the game, it really in that form. And, and, uh, it, it definitely paved the way for me to, um, be where I'm at. And, and now that I, represent coaches um in not just at the professional level but in college ranks and in the high school ranks and in youth youth sports so um i you know i think back on that experience a lot it was very rewarding for me and uh, yeah i'm very thankful i got to do that yeah it was one of the more powerful programs major league baseball has ever really participated and supported in so in terms of player development we're talking with eric mcmahon the coaching program manager at the national strength and conditioning association it's interesting that you go back and talk about where those players were at years and years ago because it's changed dramatically just because of the presence that i think we had over there not just in terms of the players and the coaches but also in developing the young strength coaches and giving them an idea of how big and deep this industry and profession really runs now, you mentioned something really important uh, a few minutes ago when you talked about the NSCA and the Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist Certification. Um, it is sort of the golden standard mm -hmm. right now in all of sport, and it's even come a long ways. I'm really loving this idea of a sports science um, certification because 
sport is simply going that direction, rightfully so. So interesting times. But, you know, for a lot of our athletes out there, parents and coaches even, you know, there's so many different certifications out there. Some of them good, some of them really not good at all. And I'm not even afraid to say that because I've seen the disaster of some of these weekend courses of people who just don't have the proper background to even be enrolled in these courses. And it's a really interesting uh, industry for for people who aren't familiar with it. And that's why on our radio show and podcast, you know, for over, over 20, 25, 30 years, we have been recommending everybody, if you're going to work with a strength coach or a performance person, please be sure they have a certified strength and conditioning specialist certification. And, and uh, it's the golden standard in sport for a good reason, isn't it, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and it's, um, you know, the term certification gets thrown around quite a bit. And I think, you know, you can take a weekend course and, and just a single piece of equipment and they'll call it a certification, but the difference of a, an accredited certification that goes through that process, um, it, it brings it to another level and a higher standard. And we are actually in the accrediting process one more time of bringing um, education programs now up to speed that they are going to support the CSCS. So similar to athletic training, similar to physical therapy, um, we're going to require accredited uh, strength and conditioning programs as uh, eligibility to sit for the exam, the CSCS exam. Great so news. we're actually headed there and yeah, we're headed there in 2030. And that's a, it seems kind of like, why would we have to wait that long? It's actually a pretty uh, intensive process to build it that long. And especially considering that the CSCS has been around for, for a number of years now, but um Going, you know, taking that next step, it just shows, you know, um, how important it is um, to maintain that high standard. Um, and, you know, this this is a perfect example. And this time is a perfect example of that. You know, um, we're going to we're about to have athletes returning from a long period of inactivity. And we all heard the horror stories of, of you know, catastrophic injury, you know, players going down um, due to uh unregulated conditioning practices out on the field. And, um, that is, you know, having someone trained and qualified to know how to recognize, um, the, the risk factors and, um, being able to screen athletes on the front end is, is huge as we, you know, just in what we're facing right now, but, um, in, in all our sports and, and from a health and safety standpoint, it's huge. Um, and, uh, also from a performance standpoint, and that's the core of what we, uh, what we believe in. So. Oh, and the industry's come so far, Eric, you know, when I started with the blue Jays, actually it's an interesting story. And I came in sort of at a really, really interesting time, not just in baseball, but in sport in general, it was sort of the very beginning of the long-term athlete development program, which came out of uh, course, sport Canada. And I was uh, familiar with that right from day one. So it was really cool to be involved in that, but to get into the blue Jays and be hired there, I was their first full-time minor league strength coach. And there were only two other organizations at the time that had full-time strength coaches. Now they had big, they had a big league strength coach and two trainers, but every minor mm-hmm. league team only had the trainers and, and it was, a, and, and no, no coordinator, even strength and conditioning coordinator. If we look at where we are at today, Oh my, in the facilities and the equipment and the science and the technology, I really love this whole concept of sports science, Eric. And I like the idea. Um, mm-hmm. and I like how these teams are also now understanding and progressing and hiring experts in these certain areas to help 
push you know player health and player performance forward. There are more opportunities in this industry today than there ever have been before, and that's exciting for young people just sort of getting involved in the sports sciences. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and one thing that comes to mind is you know sports science and a lot of what we know about sports science. These concepts have been around for for. A, for a number of years, but what's put it on the map is the access to technology we have today has made it so much easier for us to uh, look deeper into data, look deeper into what an athlete's doing, um, whether it pops up on our iPhone or an iPad, or we can go into our computer and, and analyze it after the fact. So um, there is a new skill set that, that comes along with that, uh, and it's a little bit of a learning curve for for, for coaches, because for a long time, you know, like you said, you know, coaches have done, you know, coaches have been the sports scientists, they've been the nutritionists, they've been uh, anything and everything their team needed. And now we're getting more specialized. Um, and that comes with additional training as well. Um, but it's exciting to see that, you know, um, <laughs> I remember, you know, back in Helena, Montana, my first couple of years in the minor leagues, um, you know, there was no, there was no nutrition. There was no, um, we were eating peanut butter and jelly on the side of the clubhouse after VP and, and there was no meal after the game. And, and to, just to see the number of resources in professional baseball that have, that have improved, um, over the years, but this represents the field in general. We have so many more resources today than we ever have. And now we need to, um, get better at implementing, um, and build those structures so that we can implement things in a very systematic and um, helpful way to our athletes. Yeah, and it all comes down to the fundamentals. So, you know, for parents, coaches, young coaches, volunteer coaches, but even some of the high-performance people listening and, and professional athletes listening to this podcast, man, it, you know, you still have to have those basic fundamentals in place. And that's the glorious beauty of that long-term athlete development program lays it out quite nicely age related. And then you can start talking about ability related than individual training. It's a beautiful thing. Case in point though, when we talk about sports science and how far we've come, you had a fantastic presentation uh, this last year at baseball winter meetings, looking at velocity, um, uh, based training for for the sport of baseball, but mm -hmm. there's implications virtually in almost every sport here. Maybe just in 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 a Coles note versions of of your presentation because it was fascinating. I loved listening to it. Yeah, so VBT um, velocity based training, you know, was um, when I got to the major league level and we had more resources available. Um, we uh, came across velocity based training, and what you know at the major league level, you've kind of graduated from that college age year, those college age years, which is essentially an area of bias in our field, right? Like if you open up a strength and conditioning textbook, a lot of programming, a lot of what we do is based on those college age years. And now when you're dealing with a little bit older athletes, a little bit more advanced athletes, developed athletes, um, you need a way to kind of guide and monitor training on a daily basis, because um, there's a difference between a 38 year old who's running out there every single day and a 28 year old or an 18 year old. And, and, and also just, you know, when you play in professional baseball, seven days a week, week in and week out, um, that is a, that's a unique challenge. So if you don't have some checks in place to gauge where your, your players are at and you, you don't always have a ton of time for extra testing in that. So we wanted it to be integrated into the training process. So, 
Um, looking at velocity-based training, you know, I got a lot of my knowledge from that just studying Dr. Brian Mann. He's at the University of Miami, um, very heavily involved in the NSCA, and he came up with this concept of the velocity zones. Um, and the velocity zones is basically, you know, you have absolute strength on one end and you have starting strength, which is basically body weight plyometrics on the other end and everything in between. So you have speed strength, strength speed, accelerative strength, um, and you're qualifying the amount of uh, velocity, or you're targeting the amount of velocity, but you're basically quality, you're, you're modifying the load based on the velocity the athlete achieves on a given day. And so you build a program around that concept. And um, the way he describes it, it's a lot like, you know, training with a GPS versus a roadmap. You just get a lot more information. It's a, it's a deeper look at where the athlete's at. Um, and it was, it was really, uh, meaningful for us because we could track that information all season long. Um, and it, w- and it just gave a, a lot of information that we would have never had before. And in baseball is a good example of with StatCast and all these other metrics were an information overload. But BBT was a really, um, simple way during the training process that, um, gave us information. I also liked that it, it engages the athlete with training. Um, and you know, I think every, every one of us can, can, um, agree that at some point you get a little stale with your training methods and, and, you know, I, I always say, you know, with high level athletes, when you, when you start getting up into that, you know, squat range, 225, 275, 315, and they all start to sound and seem like groundhog day, the athlete needs an additional stimulus to kind of push them over that edge. So velocity is uh you know they can compete against themselves when they say man i'm a little down that rep let me let me get it back up or they're going and competing against their their workout partner who's um who's neck and neck with them in the rack so uh that was a valuable aspect of it as well um and the other part of it is when you're training for intent when you're training for speed you're targeting type 2 muscle fibers so it's that graduating from foundational strength levels to actually training for explosiveness and power, which we've always talked about, right? But have we had a way to measure that and to quantify it and to, and to uh, build that, incorporate in that into our training that really differentiated from our strength phase, maybe not as much as now that we have this technology in place. So um, there's a, there's a number, there's a lot of different technology out there that, um, relates to velocity-based training, but that's really a uh, snippet on what BBT is. Yeah, no, and that's a fantastic summary. We're talking with Eric McMahon, the coaching program manager at the National Strength and Conditioning Association. It's a fantastic discussion. I love that right there. And you're right, it's a little more advanced, but it's also something that applies to virtually every sport. Similar conversations happening in pro pro, uh, football, pro soccer, uh, the NHL, NBA. It's very, very applicable, especially when you get those more advanced guys. And you just brought up a memory of a a great discussion I had a few years back with a, a bunch of NHL strength coaches talking about load management and just the whole concept of athlete management and periodization, proper periodization and the importance of recovery. And the fact that, you know, the more veteran athletes are, are, they're attuned to it. They're more accustomed to it. They're trained to the environment of pro sports. And what a mistake that's a very common mistake that's being made is, you know, not understanding that the younger athletes do require more rest and recovery than the older, uh, say maybe attuned veteran athletes, just like you mentioned. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. And what you also see in working with, I don't want to call them older athletes because typically they're in their 30s, right? Or they're, <laughs> they're even Experienced late athletes. You know, How's that? Gonna, yeah, age <laughs> yeah. is relative. I mean, age kind of happens to, to all of us at different stages. But one thing I noticed is that when you're dealing with um, older athletes um, that need to move into a, basically adjust their training just to stay relevant, um, it, you know, I, I feel like basic, we, we can kind of go back towards just keeping them active and keeping kind of a fitness mindset towards what they do. Um, maybe their training wouldn't be quite as explosive or quite as heavy or quite as, uh, power driven as what it once was, but there's going to be components of that put in there. And it's really about just keeping the engine going every day. And, um, you, you might dial down, uh, plyometrics, high level plyometrics into just agilities and just what they're going to use out on the field that day. And, um, in there, there's a lot of examples of that when you're working with athletes that are a little further along in the process that, um, their, their most explosive, powerful reps are going to be between the lines during the game. Yeah. And so it, you can kind of go into that dynamic warm up you're building them up to that game game time. And that's just where, where they're at. And that's the approach we take in baseball sometimes because you're playing every single day. I think with sports, you're talking basketball and hockey, there's, you have additional days rest in between. So it's, it's kind of a different animal and in terms of what you can, uh, how you approach it with training. But um, that's a, that's a general concept. And I, I kind of, when I build it out, I, I consider that the career athlete phase, you know, you've kind of graduated from that introductory into that, um, where, where athletes are at maybe mid twenties, where they're in their ideal athleticism. And then the, that career athlete phase is really where, um, you're, you're starting to make specific adjustments just to sustain performance on a daily basis. So that's, that's typically how I break it down. Yeah. Um, and I, re- I really uh, like that with athletes over the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. And that sort of talks about, you know, that's that long-term approach that, that, that lifetime of an athlete, which is so, so important because, um, you know, that old adage, what got you here is not going to get you there. That changes more often than people think. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, another interesting thing that's going on, of course, everybody's experiencing it is the big shutdown and boy, oh boy, has this been a trying time for athletes from the grassroots right up to our pros, Eric, let's talk about this for a second and let's start with the youngsters. I mean, they're missing their teachers and their schools and their friends. Some of them certainly are missing their sports and we've been trying to be as active as possible through crush performance here, you know, posting stay sharp drills and things that athletes from virtually every sport can maybe work into their downtime here to help build a robustness that, that will help expand their athlete performance, but more importantly, maybe even their playing performance and they return to the sports they love. Uh, but what a challenging time here, not just physically, but also emotionally and mentally for the youngsters who are missing teammates and, you know, missing their seasons for crying out loud. And I know you guys have been very involved in the shutdown, Eric. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, listening to you, I, I think of my son, you know, he's, um, you know, the parents now are, we're, we're not just the, the first grade teacher, but we're also the PE teacher, you know, and it's, uh, we got to get <laughs> right. the kids kind of out, outside running around and because we're all starting to feel a little cooped up right now. Um, but that's what comes to mind is that, you know, the physical education that kids are getting hopefully on a daily basis, but you know, maybe not as much as it used to be, but 
at least there was some, and then there's sport and it's, um, trying to, you know, remind parents that, you know, we, we really have to keep kids going. Um, it, it's great for their mind. It's great for their body. It's great for their future. Um, you know, physical activity is, you know, it's a huge outlet for when you have all that, that youth energy and, and, and it is important. Um, so, uh, this last Monday we released, um, safety guidelines from the NSCA for strength and conditioning coaches. Um, and this is something that was in high demand. My phone was kind of ringing off the hook for, for a, a week or two. And, and what I was hearing from, you know, all audiences, high school strength coaches, college strength coaches, and the professional level was that, you know, we need some help. We need some resources to base training on when we're going into these meetings with our institution um, because nobody really knows how to approach this thing. Um, <clears throat> there are a ton of resources out there, you know, when you look at, you know, local, state, federal authorities, and those are, it's very important that we stick to those. Um, and institutions are going to stick to those as they, as they roll out their, their plans for the safety and, and health of athletes. Um, but I know for a fact that, you know, they weren't going to get to the level that, you know, spotting athletes and things that strength coaches, uh, think about on a daily basis and just weight room safety. And so that's really what the NSCA uh, guidelines uh, document and uh, website is all about. So we have that on our website uh, at NSCA.com. It's a, it's a great list of resources that we're going to continue updating. And it, it includes a variety of external resources as well um, from the NCAA, from the uh, USOPC, um, really covering the whole spectrum from professional all the way down to youth sport. And so it, it is really important that we, um, we get our athletes back to training, um, but do it in the, mo in, in the safest way possible and in the most appropriate way possible um, uh, with regard to conditioning volume. And um, we, you know, I think, it, I think it's easy to think, man, we're, we're going to be behind after this. Our, our athletes are going to be behind. We're never going to be able to compete. Well, you know what? Everybody's in the same boat right now. Everybody's behind. It's about taking care of your athletes, doing right by them, um, getting them back, uh, getting them back healthy. I think we're going to all be better for it if we take that approach. And the, the competition is going to take care of itself. So. Um, that's really what we're about with, it, with these policies at the NSCA. And, uh, yeah, it, it really is a testing time. I'm proud of the, the NSCA coaching community, really everything from creating these documents to, um, just the, just the call to action that, I, that I've seen. There's so many, uh, CEU opportunities out there. Coaches are using this time to educate and, and, and to, to sharpen the sword, so to speak. So, um, yeah, it, it's been a really positive time for our field, even though we haven't been able to work with athletes, which I think is, uh, which is really, which is interesting, you know? Yeah. We're talking with Eric McMahon, the coaching program manager at the national strength and conditioning association. Yes. No question about it. And I like your comment about the parents. Parents are not just being parents. They're being teachers. Now they're also being phys ed teachers, but they've also got a very, very challenging role of the psychology side. We look at some of our high school athletes who are, you know, on the cusp of college scholarships or a club team or making their varsity teams. And that's been washed away for the short time here. We look at some of our college athletes and we can't help but feel for the seniors who missed their March Madness opportunity. Um, and also, of course, the kids who 
are on the cusp of signing professional contracts. There is a psychology side to this as well. And, and this is a very, very important conversation, something we're covering quite extensively here on our radio show, but, but that's a big part of the puzzle as well. This is a missed opportunity. Uh, we're trying to frame it up the, in the best way we can, Eric, we've been doing a good job of, I think, you know, everybody here and the people we're talking to are, are, are doing a really good job of looking at the shutdown and trying to frame it up as the opportunity it can be for everybody but at the same time, you can't mm-hmm. help but deal with uh, some of the um, um, psychological stresses that, that might be accompanied with this shutdown. And there are a lot out there. No, I agree. Yeah. I mean, most coaches and athletes have never experienced this level of uncertainty towards their sport um, or whether even their season is going to happen. You know, I, I think that, that comes, I think be, inherently as human beings, we like routine and we like to know what's coming and, and something is. Um, we, it's easy to take for granted that these seasons just happen year in and year out. And now, you know, especially when you've been putting the work in, you've been training or you're getting ready for, you know, for opening day. And next thing you know, it doesn't happen. Um, that does come with a lot of stress and anxiety and, and keeping kind of a mindful eye as, as coaches, you know, as parents, um, just as, as citizens, I think it's, it's very important, you know, that we, uh, uh, lend a helping hand when necessary, use the resources we have available, whether that be uh, on-campus resources or, or professional resources that you have through your employer. I think there's, there's, there's definitely a lot to say about the, uh, the stress and anxiety of this situation. Yeah, and one of the saving graces has certainly been the uh, video conferencing calls. I've seen literally grassroots teams from virtually every sport to even college and some of the pro guys. We know the pro guys are staying in touch via video conferencing uh, just to keep players engaged, keep them you know active and, and get, guiding them through this, this downtime. And, and that's been, I guess, one of the, I guess, um, great adaptations to this downtime. It's been one of the silver linings to this thing is uh, finding a sense of community through this isolation. It's been incredible. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, this is like, it's a game changer, right? You know, it's like, I, I kind of wish I bought stock in zoom before this whole thing started, but um, (laughs) it's like, like this whole thing is, has taken off. And um, it's, uh, I think it's, it's in a way it's really improved. Uh, our efficiency in a lot of ways of, you know, having meetings throughout the day and keeping our time structured. And, and it's, um, you know, I, I do think there's going to be some takeaways from this time that, that lasts, and this might be one of them, you know, you, you know, not being locked down to physical location. I, I, I heard a quote from uh, one of our state directors, you know, education isn't contained within four walls, you know, you can get it anywhere. And, and that was really powerful for me because it's really representative of this time that, that, um, you know, reaching out digitally, virtually, and, and just communicating uh, with as many people as you can, um, especially as you have time available to do it. I mean, it's a, I think people are coaches and, and you know, and all professionals are going to come back from this time um, ready, you know, re- ready for what's next. And I, I think it's, it's also pretty impressive how quick we adapted to this. Um, from a technology standpoint, it just showed that we were very prepared. Um, yeah, there's a few things that maybe slipped through the cracks that we're, 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 uh, fixing and trying to get back. But I think, uh, you know, it's been really, uh, yeah, that's been a positive as well. And onwards because the uh, tables are turning here. We're getting in front of this. Hopefully a vaccine will show itself sooner than later, but in the meantime and in between time, 
we're still pushing and helping everybody out there get better. NSCA and everybody there has been a big, big part of that and been a big part of my life as well. You know, I've been a member again since 19, a proud member since 1994. And I can, I look forward to continuing that, Eric. Well, listen, I want to thank you for your time today. This has been an absolutely fantastic performance discussion today, Eric. I want to thank you. I want to thank everybody there at the NSCA for everything they're doing. And we'll look forward to uh, continuing discussions as we move forward. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff. I love your show, man. Keep it up. There you go, Eric McMahon, the coaching program manager for the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Fantastic discussion right there. I really like being able to tear back the curtains and talk about what goes on behind the scenes for all you athletes, parents, coaches, administrators, GMs out there. You know, I think everybody really needs to be aware of what it truly takes to tap into potential and the things that need to go on behind the scenes. But maybe most importantly, making sure you're getting in with the right people. Because as Eric said, you know, that that term certification gets thrown, thrown around pretty loosely out there. You see all these certifications and all these uh, people who are claiming to be experts with certifications. There's a few things you need to look for if you're looking for help in the sports performance world. One is a degree in sports sciences and two is a certification from the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Uh, it's where There's a reason it's the golden standard in professional sports. And um, again, as Eric said, they're continuing to look for ways to get better. And I'm really, really excited about this new push towards sports science as a whole, because it's pretty interesting. Just in my career alone, you know, starting out in strength and conditioning, um, it was a great place to start. My background, you know, I was an avid you know, through through my youth, high school and into university. Um, but when I got into the sports sciences at university, when I got exposed to that world, I went into education originally. But, you know, I was hanging out in the phys ed department, the kinesiology department, Got to know the exercise phys doctors, the biomechanists, the you know the nutritionists, the sports science people who were all sort of compartmentalized, doing their own thing. And you know, it took me many, many years, you know, focusing on our athletes and and, and strength and conditioning for performance. But it took me a long time personally to really start uh, framing up that picture of holistic development. Uh, when I got into the Blue Jays through you know, the minor league years, putting that program together. I was the first minor league strength and conditioning coach, full-time strength and conditioning coach for, for the Blue Jays. And, you know, working with their major league guy who was overwhelmed and, you know, had too much to do to begin with. But building that program, I really, really started to put together and connect all the dots when it came to true, true performance. And now we've got experts in all this area. And now we have these program directors, performance directors, directors of sports science and all the organizations who kind of tie it all together and bring harmony. It's kind of like the conductor of an orchestra. That's the best way I can put it. And I love the move because there's so many areas of expertise that you need. You cannot be an expert in everything. There's no way. But if you have a broad enough picture, a good enough understanding of the big holistic picture of athlete development, you can bring in these experts with all of this incredible knowledge and you can get them moving together like a symphony. And that's the future of sport performance right there. That is really, truly the, the future of, of pushing human performance forward. And, and the NSCA is going to be a big, big part of that. I want to thank Eric again for coming on the show. I want to thank you guys for tuning in today. I hope this has been a real interesting show for you and hopefully it's given you a lot to think about in terms of preparation for your sport. Inside of our developmental models, we spend way too much time competing. And if you look at the long-term athlete development models, 
Uh, you'll see ratios, training to competition, and how those change throughout the developmental years. And fortunately, we're so focused on playing. We're so focused on winning. We're literally stamping out so much talent early on that I don't think we're truly seeing the top talents right now at the highest level. We're just seeing the players, and God bless them, they've made themselves special because they've, they've figured out a way to get through this system. I respect every single player athlete that gets a scholarship or plays on a varsity team in high school or is playing pro or gets drafted because they've worked their way through a system that's far, far from perfect. But I think there's huge, huge opportunities here for athletes, for developmental associations, and certainly for pro organizations to really tap into untapped potential that we're just leaving on the plate. But remember, it's a long game. So uh, lots to think about here. I'm going to take a couple of days and listen to this again. Again, if you want to listen to it again, go to crushperformance.com. Uh, the links will all be there to this great show with Eric. And you can also get the Crush Archives. Man, was May, was it a blockbuster May on Crush Performance or what? I humbly, humbly just thinking back to our shows, Chris Woodward, Jim Fannin, we had Joe Baker, Eric McMahon, just fantastic shows throughout May. And really, really good information. I want to thank everybody who came on and shared their information. I want to thank you guys for listening in. Next week on the show, we're going to get into, again, performance thinking with Dr. Jacques Delaire of Performance Prime. What are you thinking about when you compete? And could what you think about destroy or enhance your performance? Well, you know the answer to that one. But we're going to take a deep dive into performance thinking with Jacques Delaire next week on Crush Performance, everybody. I really hope you can join us because this is going to be a good one. Until then, get out there, get better. We'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. Goodbye now. Don't forget to ride. This is a Landry Football Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Just to give you an idea how things work, one of the things that happens is inevitably, if there is a rule change or you know any rule change on the field, procedure rules off the field, what typically happens is you have maybe certain people that have a strong opinion on it. You may have some that have strong opposing opinions, but a lot of people are kind of, eh, you know, I don't know. Much like lobbyists in Washington, when you're dealing with Congress, what you have is a lot of lobbying by one owner to another. So you get certain guys to, all right, look, if, if you don't care either way and you have someone that maybe has helped you in the past or you think can help you in the future, you're more inclined to say, okay, yeah, you'll get my vote. And then that's how you get 24 out of 32. So that's kind of sometimes you can go from 16 to 24 pretty easy. What you often get as well is you got to make a vote on an issue. And you're not really sure. Maybe you're a newer owner, you know, maybe a David Tepper type guy. I bet, uh, and any new owner, will go to maybe someone that's been in the league a long time. I can remember whether it was Chuck No or Don Shula on an issue. You go and you talk to them. Hey, what do you think about this? You know, we're not sure. We're kind of on the fence. What do you think we should do on said rule? And, you know, people think, well, why are you – this is not a com this is not a competition at the owners' meeting. It's about doing what you think is best. 
The Landry Football Podcast with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>